45 Years of the Rockford Files, revised third edition. The complete history of the Rockford Files on television, now completely updated with more than 20 new interviews, additional photographs, and a whole lot more. 45 Years of the Rockford Files, available now at rockford45.com, rockford45.com. Hi, this is Ken Levine, and you're listening to TV Confidential. Robertson, along with Tony Figueroa and Donna Allen, welcoming you back to TV Confidential, radio talk show about television that will spend, well, first of all, before we introduce our guests, let's tell our listeners how the idea for this program came to be. A few weeks ago, you might recall, we, as part of this week in TV history, we did an, an impromptu tribute to Anne Morgan Gilbert, one of the stars of the Dick Van Dyke show, which I know is, is a show that is near and dear to Donna's heart. Yes. And in speaking of M. Morgan Gilbert and her work as Millie Helper, you said the Dick Van Dyke show is one of the best ensemble shows ever made back then. And I believe still today. I said it was the best ensemble show ever made. And I stand by that. And you stand by with good with, with good ground. We'll get to that in just a second. Um, but I knew that Vince Waldron wrote an excellent book described by many people, including many of the original cast members, as the definitive work on The Dick Van Dyke Show. I knew Vince's book had been, I, I was aware of Vince's book. Donna, you were the impetus for me to finally contact Vince, and as it happens, Vince does not live very far from me, so <laughs> Vince is, this is uh, kismet. <laughs> this kismet. So Vince Waldron is sitting with us in the studio as we speak. We'll spend the, the vast majority of our conversation today talking about the Dick Van Dyke Show. But Vince Waldron is also a Emmy Award-winning writer. Uh, he, he won his Emmy writing for Win Ben Stein's Money, a great show, a very funny, that funny was, yeah, show. Yeah, that was a really cool game show. It gave us Jimmy Kimmel. It gave us Jimmy Kimmel, yes. Uh, Win Ben Stein's Money. Vince is also an accomplished playwright who's wrote and directed American Splendor, which he adapted from the comic books by Harvey Peeker, and Confessions of a Lady Killer, a dark comedy based on the true story of a decades-old unsolved murder in a small Midwestern town. Uh, Vince launched his theatrical career in Chicago, where he was a performer with the... You, were, you performed with Second City. Yes, I did. Well, we've gotten a little... Before we started formally recording, we, we've just been kind of talking between the three of us. And no, I, I, can, I can tell you're a good conversationalist. You, you can kind of jump in everything. That's just, I mean, with improv, it's not just talking. It's just not just, it's, it's reacting to what uh, your partner will give you in the, in, in the moment. In where it takes you. Where it's supposed to take you. So no, it's a good yeah. skill to have that you practice that, that, that serves you well. Vince's other books include... Classic Sitcoms, a celebration of the best in primetime comedy, uh, originally published by Silman James, one of the best, one of the first and one of the best books about television ever published. He's also the collaborator of uh, Ronnie Spector's autobiography, Be My Baby, which is re- which was recently released both as in, in print and as an ebook. We'll talk about that and more in just a second. But first, Vince Waldron, welcome to TV Confidential. Wow. Glad to be here. And um, I'm so, so happy that we live uh, a mile or two apart here. Yes, happy, yes. Happy little uh, 
discovery. One of the happy, one of the many happy discoveries I've found since moving down here. How did you first become involved in the world of Dick Van Dyke? Uh, when I, I grew up in Chicago, and the show was never off the air. I mean, it was. I was just, one of my earliest memories is watching it in prime time. I'm, I'm old enough to remember it actually being on prime time. And then it went to uh, uh, CBS daytime. They had a, what they called the CBS daytime version, where it would show at 10 in the morning. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was the first rerun, uh, the first syndicated rerun. And then it would go into real syndication, where it was in local stations. And WGN, uh, Channel 9, the local independent station in Chicago, glommed onto that show and never let – I think to this day it's probably still on – w. If, if, if they've yeah. got the rights. But it's it was on WGN all through my childhood. And to this day, anybody from Chicago, including the First Lady, Michelle Obama, it didn't strike me as surprising at all when she professed during, during the, you know, she said, at one point she famously said, I can't watch the debates uh, when, when her husband was, was debating whoever it was back then, I guess it was McCain. So I can't watch the debates, I'm just going to go watch my Dick Van Dyke. And I said, she's a Chicago girl, of course she's going to yeah. go watch Dick Van Dyke. That's what we Chicagoans do for recreation. So Dick Van Dyke, he's also a local boy, he's from Danville, Illinois. Mm-hmm. For, it was just part of my childhood growing up. It was also the first show. Um, and I had a little chance to think about this because somebody asked me at the 50th anniversary uh, of the show, which was um, five, five, or six, five years ago, um, someone said, well, why, why is it you know, that this show, out of, out of all the shows you watched in your, in your TV-besotten youth, why did this one stick in your – why did this one stick in your craw enough that you devote a year and a half or two years or whatever it was to write about it? And I said, you know, that's a great question. And I thought, and I realized, you know why? Because when I was a kid uh, living in my crazy dysfunctional family, I would tune into that show and say, wow, look at that. Those are grownups. Those are, there's a, when Mel and Jerry and Millie would sit around Rob and Laura's living room, they'd actually have conversations and they all got along and the kid would come in and they'd pat him on the head. And I said, wow, that's what grownups are like. And there were very few grown-ups in my world that would either pay attention to you or when they did, that would be talking in that, that low a decibel. And so I just realized that that was a show that gave me a window into what it was to be a grown-up. And in some way, I think I, you know, I, I could do worse than trying to model myself as, as, a, as I grew up as, well, I want to, what would Rob do? What would Laura do? What would, what would Alan Brady do? I mean, you know, <laughs> all of those people were better role models than, 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 than whoever it was that happened to be in my life at a given moment because we had tumultuous times when I was growing up. And so I thought, wow, that's funny. That, that show, because it's always been touted as a show that was, uh, that worked equally well for, uh, it, it was a show that appealed to the grown up audience, mm-hmm. but it worked equally well for kids. Mm-hmm. I was a little kid and I loved it. And most of the kids I knew loved it. So it was really a nice show in that uh, they did treat everyone with res- all the characters and the audience with the respect of grown-ups. And so I think my short answer is it's a grown-up show, and I was a kid, and I loved it for that reason. Going back to what Donna said as we started, the best ensemble show ever done in television. We were talking about this before you came over, Vince. One of the things you write about in the Dick Van Dyke Show book is that that sense of ensemble, I understand that was one of the things they were looking for when they put the cast for what we know as the Dick Van Dyke show uh, together. Well, what they, they had a pilot, as, as uh, anyone listening to this show is probably aware, that Carl Reiner envisioned himself as Robert Petrie, mm-hmm. and that was the impetus of the Dick, what became the Dick Van Dyke show. Uh, when Carl was coming off of um, years and years of being the second banana to Sid Caesar, and he'd won Emmys, and he got great, uh, he was a very well-respected character actor, 
And he also had learned how to write on your show shows where he'd sort of sneak into the writer's room. And after a few years, they, they sort of opened the door and said, come on in, Carl. You, you can type up things, too. And so he became a writer and, a, and an actor. And so in 1958, he said, uh, all right, the Sid Caesar thing is slowing down. He'd been working on Sid Caesar's various shows for years. Then he said, OK, time for me to go do a sitcom. His agent sent him a bunch of scripts and they were just not good. He didn't like them. He said and his wife said hey, why don't you write your own? You're a writer. He sat down one summer and wrote 13 episodes of a show that was, hadn't they even filled a pilot, let alone sell mm-hmm. it. And that was unheard of then. It's unheard of now. I mean, everyone told him he was crazy. His writer friends would say, Carl, what are you doing? I'm writing, I'm writing a series. Well, you've been doing this for the whole summer. How long does it take to write one script? He goes, I'm writing all the whole, I'm writing half the season. <laughs> and so he wrote 13 episodes of this show for himself. Yeah. And he figured the reason he wrote that many is because if he's going to be busy acting, he doesn't really have time to be writing the show. So he's going to have 13 episodes in advance so that he has a little bit of downtime so he can learn his lines and do his character, blah, blah, blah. Well, he went ahead and he actually got backing to do a pilot of what became the Dick Van Dyke Show. And at that time, it was called Head of the Family. Mm-hmm. But the basic premise was Robert Petrie lives in New Rochelle with his wife, Laura, or Lori, in that, in that pilot. He's got a kid named Richie, and he works with Buddy and Sally, and he's got an overbearing boss who's... You you know, a real pain in the neck. And that was the basic premise of the show. And he filmed this uh, as a one camera, which, you know, basically a Leave it to Beaver style, mm-hmm. uh, Father Knows Best style show, which, by the way, were his two influences. He loved Leave it to Beaver and Father Knows Best. Had no had no truck with Lucy. Didn't didn't understand <laughs> how you could watch a show every week where the couple didn't seem to like each other. Yeah. They argued a lot. Yeah. And he wanted to emulate the kind of family comedy, especially Leave it to Beaver, which, you know, I, I give that show great credit for. Uh, also being pioneering in that it really was a show from a kid's point of view and, and was based on things that might actually happen to yeah. real people. I mean, you know, as except, outlandish except as Except for were. the falling into the teacup. Well, maybe falling into the <laughs> soup. But again, you don't know. Uh, there's a, the kids do some pretty crazy That's stuff, true. and that, that, is that was the yeah, point. That is true. So he, he, he wrote this show, and he envisioned it as a one-camera, a father-knows-best kind of show, or leave it to be a kind mm-hmm. of show. And... The pilot went nowhere. Uh, none of the networks were interested, and so none of the sponsors were interested. So he had failed with that, and it was only when he when he when he licked his wounds and moved out to L.A. to write variety shows for Dinah Shore and pick up you know do game show hosting things and just basically go back to his career mm-hmm. as a second banana variety show writer actor. And um, by providence, uh, he, his his agent he shared an agent with Sheldon Leonard, who was just burning up television with Danny Thomas. They had a partnership that had um, they'd been doing for years successfully the Danny Thomas show, Make Room for Daddy. Mm-hmm. And they had just that year spun off the Andy Griffith show. Mm-hmm. They spun it off as a really cheap pilot. They just had Andy Griffith come in and do an episode of the Danny Thomas show. And then they, they, they made Danny the star. They introduced the character of the sheriff of Mayberry, Andy Taylor. And then they took that episode of the show which was paid for under Danny Thomas's budget, yeah, and I mean, showed it to sponsors. I mean, the backdoor pilot, that is a cheap way to get an idea going. And, uh, and, and Sheldon was, Sheldon Leonard, he originated that idea. He was, he was a very smart producer, and that's the kind of smart guy he was, and Carl Reiner knew that, and their shared agent, a guy named Harry, Harry Kelchheim, who should get credit in any history of uh, television, he said, okay, uh, Sheldon, I'm going to put you together with Carl. Carl, I'm going to put you together with Sheldon. Okay, you guys, this is a great show. It's called Head of the Family, Sheldon. Tell him he should do it. And Sheldon read the scripts and said, I am very impressed with the quality of the material here. The problem is, and he told Carl, he sat him down and said, there's one problem with your show. The guy you've got playing you is not a very good actor. 
And so Carl no. said, but it's based on me. My life as a writer. And I changed the name to Rob Petrie. But Sheldon said, no, we're going to find another actor and we're going to do it. And so Carl was taken aback for a moment as yeah. one would. That was his dream. That's that was a very good Sheldon letter impression, yeah. by the way. Mm-hmm. I, I had the pleasure of spending a lot of time with Sheldon when I was writing the book. He was still very much with us. And he uh, was opened his door to me. And I was able to sit down and talk about all of this. His, his incredibly... Uh, rich and colorful career, so I I, I feel very warm. warm yeah, I, I toward, mean, we should say that Sheldon Leonard's influence. I mean, he was an actor, and he basically could play one character. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but he's just, in It's just, a Wonderful Life. Despite, and, despite yeah. the fact that he was a very well-read, I mean, you, 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 he, the 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 type of character you he was known for belied the fact that he was a very well-read, yeah. very smart, very shrewd. He played mostly hoodlums and people who would uh, twist your arm. If they had to, whatever it took to get what they needed. Yes. You know, and he did that. He used that in, t- in television. Yeah. Well, he as he a had like, the reoccurring gag character on the Jack Benny show, That's basically, right. con- which was stolen b- from everyone from Sesame Street to cartoon characters. The, uh, the, the, the plaid suit, the plaid sport coat. Yeah. You know, hey, bud. You know, the tout. Was he a he, tout? Uh, yeah, I've got a good tip, got a tip for you. Yeah, yeah it's something, something like that. Or he you was basically, yeah, yeah, he would, he would have merchandise in his coat or something like that, or, or, or a tip or something like that. But he had, you know, uh, Nick the bartender and It's a Wonderful Life still. I'm giving is, away wings. Yeah, <laughs> give me, I'm giving away wings, yeah. Incredibly he, colorful guy. He read these scripts, and he had such a great track record. He'd, he'd, he'd been writing and producing and even guest starring on, you know, he still but was. But he usually played the gangster. Yeah. He usually yeah. played the gangster, but he really was at that time a very successful producer. And in a time when having relationships with sponsors was very important, and he had great relationships with sponsors with General Foods and, and, and you know, the, the sponsors, Procter & Gamble, mm-hmm. they all loved him. They wanted – and Procter & Gamble was lining – and they said, hey – uh, you've done so well with General Foods with uh, uh, Danny Thomas and now Andy Griffith. Where's our show, Sheldon? Where's the Procter and Gamble show? And he said, "I'm working on something," you know. And so then he went to Carl Reiner. He said, "Oh, this is going to be a good show." And so he he recast it. And to get back to your original question, he wanted Sheldon Leonard knew the ensemble was everything because he didn't like really any of the players in the original pilot that Carl Reiner did um, for himself back in 1958, 50, you know, 59. And so they cast it, and they immediately. They, they just went through the Rolodex, and Sheldon Leonard knew Rosemarie mm-hmm. and said, she's perfect for this character, the writer, which is based sort of on Lucille Callan and, and Selma Diamond, Diamond yeah. and a few, a few writers. They, they generally had a woman uh, writer in the show shows and, and the subsequent shows, mainly because that was, they were smart and progressive, and they were smart enough to know that. But it was unusual because, um, you know, back then, women, you know, although Lucy had a woman writer, too, so it wasn't, you know, uh, it wasn't unheard of. Mm-hmm. And so Carl, of course, said, yeah, let's have a woman writer, and then we'll have another guy in the pilot. It was more like a Woody Allen, young Mel Brooks, sort of a neurotic, sort of funny, uh, younger. 23-year-old. Nervous, yeah, yeah. neurotic guy. Yeah. And, and if you even look at the pilot, it's Morty Gunty, who was relatively and he looked like Woody Allen and if Woody Allen worked on your show shows you know some of the Mel you know it was like so he was going for that energy of I, I, I go to nightclubs and I can't wake up in the morning you know that kind of weird not far very far from what Maury Amsterdam brought to it yeah. but when they're casting the ensemble it's like oh terrible you know throw away the, the preconceived notions and so they brought in Rosemarie who Sheldon went way back. They were like in the, you know, she knew Danny Thomas from nightclubs and, and Rose had been in the business, you know, at that time, literally 40, 30, 40 years. And Carl, of course, recognized Rosemary, said she'd be perfect. And then on the way out the door, she says, so I got the job. They go, yeah. She goes, who you got for the other writer? And they said, well, we're looking. And he said, I got the guy. Maury Amsterdam, call him up. He'll do this and he'll be great. 
And they both, Sheldon Leonard and, and Carl, knew Maury. In fact, Maury, uh, Maury, I think, was a panelist on one of Carl's Keep talking. game shows. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So he knew him well. And, and, and Maury Epstein was really Mr. Television. I mean, he, he was very early on, he was one of the hosts of what sort of morphed yeah. into the, the Tonight, Tonight Show. Broadway show. Open House. Yeah. yeah. So he was, mm-hmm. and, he, and he'd, he'd been everywhere, and he'd done everything, and he'd written for everybody. And that's what Carl really gravitated to. He said, wait a minute, so this guy's going to be an old, instead of being a young neurotic. Yeah. Let's make him a hack who knows every joke in the book. The human, human joke, joke machine. machine. Yeah. Human <laughs> joke machine. And he said, and they discovered, once they hired him, he literally was the joke machine because they they could only write so many jokes for, for, for insult jokes. For, for instance, when he's going up against Mel, mm-hmm. um, they would run out of jokes, so they couldn't get jokes fast enough. And they'd go to turn to Maury Amster and say, Maury, we need a joke here, a bald joke. We've done every bald joke in the world. No, no, you haven't. <laughs> <laughs> and so he'd go, what about, yeah, he's so bald, I was, hey, her, 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 whatever, you know. And then he'd, uh, and they'd go, they'd look at him and say, that's not very funny. And he'd go, or... And he'd come up with another one, and he'd oar him his way into a joke. So finally, after five or six jokes, they go, that one's good. Let's type it up, and let's move on. And so they got this great value added with this ensemble that they wouldn't have had with whatever who they had in New York. And you, so it was You couldn't have thing. an actor and say, play this guy. You need somebody who was pretty much that guy. Yeah, and didn't have the ego to say, no, no I'm going to act. I'm going to create a character here. No, he's like, yeah. oh, I get to play myself? Okay. He had no problem with that. There was no angst. There was no method. And that's what made it great. He just walked in. He wore his own clothes. I mean, they, they, mm-hmm. they had no budget. Yeah. You know, they were cheap. They were yeah. done on the cheap. But they said to Maury Amsterdam, well, your costume is pretty much what you wear. Because that's how you dress anyway. Yeah. So he'd wear the vest and the, and the you know, whatever it was, the, the loose tie and the, and the baggy pants. We're talking to Vince Waldron, Emmy Award winning writer from Win Ben Stein's Money and the author of the official Dick Van Dyke Show book, The Deluxe Expanded archive edition of the definitive history of television's most enduring comedy series. One more item. Here's something a lot of us have in common. Broken appliances. Broken air conditioner. Broken down heating system. Broken down washer dryer. Broken down refrigerator. And if you're a homeowner, you know just how expensive it is to get one of those things fixed, let alone what happens if more than one appliance breaks down at the same time. Well, if you're a homeowner, you can get all of your appliances on a warranty plan that guarantees protection for all of your home appliances in case they break down. And best of all, it will only cost you about a dollar a day. Call the Home Service Club at 800-264-3168, 800-264-3168. The call is free, and if you're one of the first 25 callers, your first month membership in the Home Service Club will also be free. Home Service Club, warranty plan, Guarantees protection for all of your appliances for less than a dollar a day. 800-264-3168. 800-264-3168. Be part of our conversation. If you like what you hear, have thoughts on this week's program, or have an idea for a future edition of TV Confidential, we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at talk at tvconfidential.net, talk at tvconfidential.net. You can also message us at facebook.com forward slash TV Confidential, x.com forward slash TV Confidential, or at TV Confidential on Instagram. And if you're listening to us on the TV Confidential podcast, please be sure to hit the subscribe button. This portion of TV Confidential is brought to us by our friends at Front Porch Realty, the community of realtors in the Northern Bay area of California that is committed to finding the solution that is best for their clients. Whether you're a first time home buyer, 
or looking to sell or lease your property in Northern California, call Karen Strain at 415-886-7411 or visit frontporchrealtygroup.com for more information on how they can help you.